Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. I'm here with Eric Cusin of, same, of the hashtag Same Here Global Movement uh, for Mental Health Awareness. And we're going to get into a little bit of Eric's story uh, as an executive in the, in the sports business and entertainment industry. Um, but also, look, we've all gone through a lot over the last 15, 16 months, and there's going to be a lot of uh, shifts and impacts to not only individuals, but as there's return to office and everything of that sort, what's the mental health awareness? What's the, what's the impact to mental health? Um, and Eric's going to do a great job of shining some light on it. So nonetheless, uh, really excited for today's chat. Eric, welcome. Thanks for having me, brother. And, uh, and awesome again with the connection with Andy and that whole crew. It's nice to, nice to be on. Absolutely. You know, it's, I will just say from a connection standpoint, you know, Brian Bolton, we had on quite a few weeks ago. Um, he's the one who introduced, you know, your, yourself to me. And then, you know, next thing you know, you've got a connection with Andy. And, and I will just say it's such a small world, right? And, and how you're connected, intertwined with people, where you work and so on. And let's start there because, you know, quick GPS of, of where you were able to uh, go on your journey, you know, starting in sports, uh, as, as Andy will say, uh, you know, your loss of logo at one point or another uh, happened to you. Yeah, of course. You know, my, my journey with sports generally goes all the way back to high school. Um, you know, I, I'm 6'4 now. I was still growing in high school, but 6'4 uh, is not 6'8 and athletic is not very athletic, right? So, you know, that, 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 that realization that a lot of people go through, you know, after their college years or at the end of their college years, I kind of knew in high school, all right, I could go on and play in, in college, which we'll get to in a second, but I'd love to work in sports and this is where my passion is. And so started uh, with the Long Island surf of the USBL. That was like my, uh, you know, real low down and dirty uh, first internship that led to internships in college. Funny little anecdote there is before the days of just being able to go on Google and search for who the right people are to, to apply to. So I actually bought an internship book in college and applied to a number of different places. And so freshman year worked for the New York Jets and their Jets Fest, um, which is their fan interactive football amusement park. Then IMG, International Management Group, before it became Endeavor, um, working out of uh, New York City in their corporate partnerships office. Uh, studied abroad in London and worked for the London Towers, which is a British professional basketball team. And then upon graduation, you know, this is taking a really long story, making it much shorter, eight phone interviews starting in October of my senior year, going through March, not really knowing all the people that I was talking to other than, okay, there's, you know, people in senior level roles at this NBA league office being told that they're going to try and hire a diverse set of candidates from around the country, 16 of them for this associate program. By the way, my buddy Larry Goldman, who's in the industry, shout out to him, was hired already, had a friend who was working there, Chris Weiler, talk about small world. So I'm thinking a guy who goes to the same school as me <laughs> from the same area of the country, there's no way I'm getting this spot. And it turns out to be my final phone interview, still have an answering machine where you could hear the actual um, recording as it's being left. And it was Mark Tatum on the other end of the line. Hey, Eric, this is Mark Tatum from the NBA. And I picked up the phone. I was like, Mark, you know, I, I, I know that name from somewhere. Mark, you, you gave a guest lecture at my intro to marketing class three years ago. And we went out to lunch and my name was picked out of a hat. Oh, Eric, I remember you. I don't think he had a clue. I was till this day. I still give him a hard time. Like, there's no way you remembered me. Um, but Mark was a person I ended up going to work for in, uh, in marketing partnerships, which go back, you know, to, to 2001, I never would have been hired with the knowledge base that I had, even though I had internships in sports, I didn't really know what marketing properties and marketing partnerships was, right? You think of the term marketing and you think creativity and ideas. It's like, no, marketing partnerships and properties is taking Nestle and Sprite and incorporating them into your 
you know, grassroots traveling touring vehicles like Rhythm and Rims and Jam Van. It's not, you know, the glory of quote, you know, brand marketing that you think. And so I did that for, for a number of years at the NBA. And then David Stern came to uh, my boss, my, my ultimate boss at the NBA before I left and said they needed someone who kind of looked like a player, but could talk the business side of the sport. And I guess that's where my height came in handy. And so I started to deliver what was called the business of basketball presentation to the NBA players, I'm like 23, 24 years old at the time, traveling around, you know, talking with these guys who I idolized growing up, um, many of them, or some of them that I just seen come into the league, uh, working out of the team marketing and business operations department that Bernie Mullen had started. And an incredible learning experience because I had to learn how basketball related income was generated, right? Ticket sales, sponsorship sales, uh, TV rights, arena revenues, and then explain that to the players in an elementary way that they understood that their salary cap was a percentage of this large pie, right? And the larger the pie grows, the more their, their percent, their, not percentage, but the more their slice of the pie grows. And, and so at the same time, by the way, difficulty in there was having to deliver the dress code that was being implemented. Um, it was around the time of, you know, a lot of players coming from high school directly into, into the pros. And so, and, and David Stern was our commissioner at the time. And, and the directive was, tell me everything these guys say. And so I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this or not. And I'll, I'll be Why kind not? of, Why not? okay. So I had to come back and say, you know, and I have shared this publicly before, so I'm not sharing anything that David RIP would, would, would be upset about. David, when I left Detroit, Rashid Wallace as I was leaving said, Hey, Eric, I said, yeah, he goes, tell David Stern, I told him to go fuck himself. Right. <laughs> there were things like that, that happened that, you know, I think part of it was like a little bit of the kidding relationship back and forth between David and the players. And some of it was real, right? Some of that was, Hey, you're not going to give me a directive and tell me what to do commissioner or not. Right. And, uh, and so I, I learned so much and I had such a great opportunity, but you know, the, the my, my mentors at the time said, Eric, you, you're not going to learn anything in terms of growth to the next step in this industry, unless you start to get sales experience and, you know, marketing partnerships, which is not sales, right? Business of basketball out of Teambo is not sales. And so I get sent out with five other members. So there's six of us of the league office to help the WNBA Chicago uh, sky start selling group tickets, right? And talk about a difficult sale. First WNBA team without NBA backing, um, selling women's basketball in Chicago during the summer when everyone in Chicago has been inside the entire winter, right? But what I learned in that position, what I loved is having your back against the wall and figuring out creative ways to explain what entry into a game was other than just coming to a basketball game. Time with family, time with you know your kid, uh, daddy-daughter night, client entertainment, right? And so you start thinking about a ticket in a different way. And, and that led to an opportunity to to leave the NBA and come on board full-time as a director of sales and service with, with the sky. So I did that for two years, went over to Phoenix with the Suns and the Mercury and the, uh, the road runners at the time we had an ECHL team. Um, so I oversaw the group sales department, some names that people might know, you know, Drew cloud was leading our department at the time. Jeff Ionello was doing season tickets. I was in groups. And then we had Bob Hammer, who's now does sports business solutions on yeah. my group staff, Colby Zobel, who's still in the industry. Uh, Nick Myers, who's still in the industry. Um, Danita Johnson was on our staff. I mean, it was a crazy staff in terms of like the people that were there. I just, I loved it. And that led to an opportunity with the, with the New Jersey Devils um, to be their VP of sales and service. Um, I skipped over one cool highlight from the Suns, even though never beating Kobe to make it to the finals, Diana Taurasi takes us to a WNBA title in 2009. I was too late for the 2007 title. So I win my first, I guess, ring, if you, if you call it that, um, you know, within sports. And I bring that up because with the Devils, you're inheriting a 4,500 uh, FSE base um, and a building, a new building that seats 17, 18,000. And, you know, having to ramp up a staff that was selling out of phone books and building a CRM system from scratch and, 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 and really, you know, loading that database with by mining the market and finding who the right people were that were looking to buy tickets, sponsorships, etc. So go to the Stanley Cup final in 2012, that certainly helped propel the growth of the, uh, of the staff lose in the in the finals to the Kings, which sucks, right going that far and the emotional drainage of it all. 
Um, and then that leads after four years to an opportunity to become CRO with the Florida Panthers and new ownership group had come in, purchased the team guy who still owns it right now. Vinny Viola brings in a team president named Matt Caldwell again, who's still there. So stable ownership, deep pockets want to build it the right way. I go there because I, I believe in their vision and what they're building love Matt as a leader and they're giving us the keys to build the, the culture from scratch. And this is kind of probably where the rest of this conversation will go, um, uh, Jake. And, and six months in, my brain and my body hit a brick wall like I'd never experienced before. And it was complete system shutdown. No signs in my, in my mind, right? Now looking back on it, yes, there were signs, but you know, things are going great. I'm in a new market. I'm a single guy living in South Beach, you know, playing in leagues, watching my New York teams on League Pass back home, you know, uh, getting to build this staff from scratch, one step away from my dream job, dream job of being a team president. And then bam, like dysfunction completely. So I don't know if you want me to stop there. Well, <laughs> it's no, it's, it's just, it's interesting to hear you tell that because one, I will go back to a point where you, you know, you made your, your, um, a comment about you know how hard it was to sell the sky i would love to hear an argument between you and andy on andy selling the nine and 73 76ers between that i mean that's we can have another episode on that i think we should uh but you know because it is important and and, it, and it's part of your cloth right it's part of your experience what made you who you are but as you're talking about your gps and and where you went and the logos that you ended up being associated with at the end of the day, you're just, you're running, right? And you're not stopping and there's nobody to, I think back to the uh, the movie, The Mighty Ducks, where they're trying to teach the kid how to stop because he, you know, he keeps skating too fast and they put the soda cans in front. Like there was no one teaching you to stop. They just said, hey, keep running because that's what you were supposed to do. And as you mentioned, you know, you kind of hit that wall. What happened from there and what are some lessons that you know, you're ultimately trying to teach others through Same Here Global and the movement and and what you've created uh, with We're All a Little Crazy as well. Yeah, so, you know, that all together, right? I'll give kind of the cliff notes of what happened from that point because there's so many details that go into it. But I go back home to New York, try 50 different psychotropic drug combinations over the course of a two and a half year period. I'm basically Western medicine's guinea pig laying in a bed, staring at the ceiling, not watching TV, not listening to the radio, just dead to the world. There are no thoughts coming to my brain. And the only thing I could do was hold on, hoping for the next four weeks, six weeks to go by to try the next pill to see if that works. That leads to TMS therapy where they shoot electromagnetic waves in your brain. That didn't work. It leads to shock therapy inpatient at a psych ward, right? Which, which all these terms, a whole nother piece of this, like, how outdated and ridiculous they are. But this doctor is telling me you've tried everything there is. This is your last resort is to do shock there and have your therapy and have your brain shocked into seizures to try to get it to restart. And so I do 12 sessions over five weeks of shock therapy, feel no better than I had the previous two and a half years, leaving what I think is the top treatment facility center in the country being told that my life is over, right? You tried your last resort and it didn't work. And so the story turns there, I, I meet a woman who practices integrative psychology. And I didn't know what the hell the term integrative meant at the time. And unlike all the other doctors I'd met with for the previous two and a half years, where the line of questioning was always, Eric, what are your symptoms? Okay, cognitive fog, you know, cognitive fatigue, you know, inability to get out of bed, you know, feeling like you're carrying a boulder around, loss of executive functioning. Okay, based on your symptoms, here's your diagnosis. And I was diagnosed with everything. ADHD, PTSD, OCD, you know, uh, melancholic depression, anhedonic depression, generalized anxiety disorder. I mean, it was every name you could think of because a little bit of what we'll talk about with mental health, these, these specialists, they study something in school and it sounds like this and the brain is a lot more complicated than, hey, you tore your ACL, right? <laughs> There's a lot more that goes on in the brain than looking at something in a scan and seeing what happened. And so if you share what you're going through, someone's going to be able to find something similar to what they've studied that sounds like it fits that box. And so then based on my diagnosis, here's, here's how we're going to treat you. And there's usually that medication that, uh, that they would put me down. And so this woman who's practiced integrative psychology, she just asked me very generally what's gone on in your life. And um, 
when you're asked that question, it's, you know, taken back, especially when your, your memory's not working so well, but you know, the, the story I'm about to share with you, which I'll go through quickly is my childhood, but I didn't know any better because the only childhood I've lived. So I didn't know to say, wow, that's really difficult or that's a lot. Right. So I'm eight years old. My older brother is 12. He breaks his femur bone in a sporting accident, put him in a body cast for a year, homeschooled. Heals from that. And a month later, gets diagnosed with ALL, which is a children's form of leukemia. So in the late 80s, that's pretty precarious, unfortunately. But miracle is, after five years of chemo and radiation, he goes into remission, right? So we're all celebrating. But a month later, as if there's a cadence to it, he's in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends, talk about sports on the way to an Islander game. Car loses control. He's in the back with no seatbelt, no top, no back on the car. He flies out of the car, lands on his head on the uh, Meadowbrook Parkway, cracks his head open, loses partial vision in his eyes in ICU for a month. Heals from that, goes to college. He went to Cornell before I did. So between junior and senior year, he's feeling a pain in his, in his knee. They do all the testing. Well, his cancer from childhood's returned. And so now they have to give him a stronger chemo regimen to really knock it out of the system. And um, the, the chemo is good at knocking the cancerous cells out, but it's also unfortunately pretty good at knocking out some healthy cells as well. And so his body's breaking down. Eventually he goes to law school while he's getting the chemo. I go up to school. That's why I mentioned the college is there for a second. And I get a call from my father saying, Hey, you know, um, we need you to come back down. He's Todd's got 105 fever. We're bringing him into the hospital right now. I meet them at the hospital. The neurologist is talking to us. His body's gone into what's called septic shock, where the organs start attacking themselves, falls into a coma. And then the coma, unfortunately, you know, the neurologist is telling us they don't know if he's going to wake ever or if he does wake, if he's going to have any brain activity. But our family could make the decision whether or not to keep him alive and, and to see if a miracle happens. So that's one month, two months, finally three months go by. He wakes from that, um, has his full cognitive faculties about him, but his kidneys fail from the rigor of the septic shock needs to go on dialysis. We all get tested to see who's the closest match. My father is donates a kidney to him. That all ends that first year. Then when I get that job at the NBA that I was sharing about with Tatum, three of my close friends pass away from heart conditions, just totally unexpectedly, obviously, um, 22 and 23 years old. So the reason I bring that up is because you're right. Um, that what, when I was in sports, I was running, 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 but, but we got to talk about why I was running, 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 because you might think, well, did the running in sports cause what happened to you, but listen to that history. Right. So what yeah. I just shared with you happened from the yeah. ages of, I mean, yeah. What's that? I said, Holy shit. I mean, it's like, that's a lot. Well, it's a lot. And, but, but I didn't recognize it as a lot. And here's the reason why. And this is when I talk with sports executives all the time, you know, we're building a course with, ISBI right now, you know, with 360 with Bill Gertine and, and going to be training staffs. But I do a lot of talks with sports executives just, you know, in person. And what I share with them is a lot of people who are in this industry, most of us who are in this industry, we played sports growing up or we were competitive SOBs who like high performers. And then same story as me, like we weren't going to go on to play at the next level, or in some cases we did play at the next level. And then we came into the office anyway. And so when you have this hyper focus on something that you love, in my case, playing sports, walking onto the basketball team at Cornell after playing four different sports in high school, and then being able to transition that into a career working in sports, guess what? This running that you're talking about, it feels like it's the right thing to do. Why? Because we're getting this dopamine hit every single morning when we wake up and it's like, sell more tickets, sell more sponsorships motivate your staff more, you know, come up with the marketing campaign, mine the database more, right? And like these things get us excited. And by the way, I'm not knocking those things. I love them. Don't get me wrong. I think they're great. The problem is the fool's gold that they can be when we neglect this bag of stuff that we're carrying at the same time while we're running, right? So if you're getting more opportunities in your career because you're a high performer, right? So someone will say, wow, Jake's really good at what he does. We got to take him for this next position. And we got to take him for this next position. You might not realize, and certainly the people who are watching, you don't realize, well, Jake's carrying that heavy bag of stuff as well. Jake's only performing at 80% of his abilities, but 80% of Jake is better than hundred percent of most people. So he keeps getting on to the next position and the next position. And you know what? That's fine, right? Not everyone is 
optimal in their health, right? Certainly no one's physical health is optimal. We could all either lose a little weight or put a little weight on or burn extra plaque that we have building in our arteries, or we've got a knee that's a little weak or whatever it is. But with mental health, it gets neglected because we're able to perform through what we've experienced in the past until we can't. And, and, and when I mentioned, I didn't see signs and I had this precipitous decline um, in Florida, there were definitely signs when I was younger, but I didn't notice them as mental health signs, right? Things like being dizzy at certain times, things like, and I, I'm going to be very real here. We go out in sports, we entertain clients, you drink a lot, right? So I would go out on the weekends or after a game, drink a little bit, and then I'd wake up the next day or the next two days. My brain wasn't so clear. Uh, yeah, people wouldn't notice, but I noticed. Well, the only way I understood that was I drank the night before, two nights ago. That's probably a lagover effect from, from a hangover. Is that true? Partially, potentially. But I also know now from, from the research I've done, from the doctors I work with, the neurobiology of our system and how changing that neurobiology through what we deal with in life from traumatic and stressful events starts to change that neurobiology. And we start to have these side effects like brain fog, cognitive fog, you know, uh, fatigue, inability to concentrate and focus, you know, jitters when we might go and give a presentation, things like that, that we just, oh, oh that's that, that stuff. Uh, I'll get over it. I'll just, I'll just grin and bear it and get through it. Meanwhile, we would never say those things. If you were limping up to give your presentation because you just turned your ankle the day before and it's purple, you wouldn't be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need to work through that, you know, purple ankle that I have. You go to your orthopedist and look at it, right? So it's, it's just, and, and, you know, a lot is talked about in the space, like stigma, stigma. I think it's, look, stigma is a piece of this and we'll, we'll get into stigma, I'm sure too. But like, I think the bigger thing is lack of education that people don't know because I keep like, it's awesome that you nailed it from I the mean, beginning. Yeah. I mean, Eric, you don't know what you don't know at the end of the day. Right? That, like, I, I'm, I'm laughing that you said that because you're wearing a Purdue shirt. And do you realize that like, we were, I don't know if you knew this, we work with Chucky Akobe. Um, who played center for uh, uh, Purdue and won a uh, Super Bowl in the NFL as a center with uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Bill Cower. And Chucky's line all the time, it's serendipitous, I'm going to make him listen to this, his line all the time from Bill Cower is, you don't know what you don't know. In fact, swear to you, look at my post today on Naomi Osaka, and I quote Chucky from that. So it's, it's just funny, you said, but to your point, how could we know that, right? And, and a sports setting for Chucky, when he's talking about it, what he's saying is you learn the offense in Miami, you learn the offense at FSU, you learn the offense at Alabama, you don't know what those offenses are. How do we come together and actually be open to what we don't know? And that makes us better together. In the context of mental health, you don't know what's building up in your system silently. You don't know what modalities you should be working on to start to lighten the load on that bag. You don't know why that's important to the overall and how it impacts performance. No one teaches us any of this crap, you know? So you're right. You nailed it. It's, it's, I, mean, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, look, in college, you know, everyone wishes they could take a, a course on taxes and insurance and everything else that you need to, you know, learn in your life. But yeah, where's the, where's the mental health course, right? When you, when you're going through, you know, you talked about being a student athlete and then transitioning, you know, quick plug, right? The 20 secrets to success for NCAA student athletes who don't go pro. I mean, there's that transition phase, no matter what part of your life you're in. And one thing that, that we can talk about here is you were transitioning just as anyone else does in the industry from role to role, right? That transition itself is just as big as the one you made from being a student athlete to your first job and transitioning, whether it's a title bump or a new location or whatever it is, that's going to take a toll on you, not only from a, you know, physical standpoint, whether you're switching from West coast to East coast or different climates, right. You know, with, with the physical aspect of, you know, working in, working in somewhere that snows, you know, half the year, and then, you know, you're, you're switching up your workout routines and so on. But the mental component of it is huge. The, the transition piece, I love that you talked about that because I thank you. I know you mentioned you listened to some of our, our podcasts that we lost recently with We're All a Little Crazy. We had on um, uh, Ryan Holinsky, 
the brother of Tyler, uh, unfortunately, who we lost to suicide at Washington State. Ryan's now the starting quarterback for uh, Northwest, <sighs> Northwestern University. Sorry about my dog barking in the back there. And um, <laughs> the, uh, the thing I asked Ryan is, you know, new job at Northwestern, guaranteed starter, new market, you know, Northwestern, beautiful campus, not far from Chicago. What could possibly be impacting you? And he just starts laughing and he's like, the having approved teammates again that I can play, the being in a new conference and, you know, people just wanting to crush me because I'm like the new face, the making new friends when I come into a new market, the not knowing the girls in the market, um, the, the, the difference in the media that's there. Right. And people might say like, boo hoo, like he, he, he's a big time college player, but you extrapolate what he's out. He's saying out times, all the things that you're discussing, Jake, in terms of career changes that we go through in the sports industry. When you go to a new market, you're having to prove to, <laughs> sorry about that. You're having to prove to your staff that you can perform. You're having to prove to your owners or your, if, if you're not that high, your bosses, right? I, I don't know what other term to use for that, that you're able to perform. Um, you, you have to meet new fans. Uh, you have to make new, new, new friends. Um, you have to set up your new apartment, right? These things are difficult. They're not easy. It, it, like, don't get me wrong. At the time, I felt like I was flying through them because, oh, here's the next opportunity and go on to the next one but they're physically taxing on you and the physical mental component together wears on you. It's, it's more and more poundage in that bag that I'm talking about that you're holding on to. And we just as sports executives, like, yeah, part of the job. <laughs> it's part of moving up. Like it, it, it is what, no, that's hard. It weighs on you. It's a lot. Right. What so I think, you, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. What have you learned from other industries that you're working with or, or other personnel to where, they go, you know what, like this needs to change or people should, you, you mentioned education, kind of the, just the lack of it. What do people need to be educated on? And so, you know, part of it is, as you don't know what you don't know, like how do you tell people to educate yourself on X, right? People are going to learn, as we all know, people learn in different ways, whether it's audio, video, visual, reading, whatever it might be, um, experience, et cetera, to where, they're going to go about it in a different way than, you know, you, you will compared to me, mm -hmm. but what do I need to know in terms of what do I need to learn? Sure. So, you know, the challenging thing in this space is even those organizations that take the step into trying to educate their employees could have a whole nother conversation about schools and SEL, social emotional learning and how backwards, unfortunately, some of that is still to this day. But with corporate offices, the focus, even when we're teaching mental health, is we're going to tell you how to look out for the signs of disorder. We're going to tell you how to look out for depression and anxiety and find out, you know, what to look for with crisis situations and being able to help your, your colleagues when they're going through something. Right away, when that's how it's positioned from the beginning, say goodbye to 80% of your workforce paying attention to any of this. Now, why do I know that number is 80%? Because I've done enough of these now that are voluntary events and have looked at that over the stat that this industry always talks about, which is they say one in five people have mental illness. So if you start the conversation with organizations talking about illness, talking about disorder, talking about, you know, far end of the spectrum outcomes, you're going to tune people out. You're going to tune out that 80% and it's really 90% because by their own admission, these organizations that say one in five they admit that 50% of the people in that one in five have never gone to get help, right? So it's 80 plus the additional half of that 20 is 10%. That's 90% of people aren't paying attention to this. So laying the groundwork early with organizations of what mental health is. The reason I shared my story about all the things that happened to my brother and my friends is because, yes, that's unique to me. But find me a person in this world who hasn't been through any of the above. The divorce of their parents, job loss of their parents, and the loss of a house watching best friends go through a terrible fight and that friendship breaking up, watching a friend being verbally abused or bullied on the schoolyard, he hearing about a friend being sexually abused, watching a friend lose a loved one at a, at a young age or just deal with the major sickness of a loved one, watching your parents have to manage the sickness of their parent, right? So you go to grandparent age in that particular case. The list is immense, right? And, and going into schools and doing this work, 
these things start to pop up where kids start to notice these things at eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, right? So these are things that we're noticing. That's the tapestry of what mental health is, not this thing called disorder. Disorder is a place where we unfortunately end up. It's what happened to me at 35 years old. But if we start there, good luck getting the rest of employee buy-in. So you have to start with the education of what mental health is and why it applies to all of us. From there then, once you've been able to lay that groundwork, and that's not an easy thing, that takes multiple sessions in order for that to sink in, is then explaining the science of how stress and trauma impacts us, right? Not using terms like amygdala and prefrontal cortex and neurobiological changes like I was sharing before. Using Wait, things like, oh, what was that? Layman's terms, yeah. Yeah, like your brain is a balloon and what happens when a balloon fills with too much air and how do you drain that air out so that the balloon doesn't pop, right? Or get overfilled so there's no more air for, for, for more air you know, to go into the balloon. When you start to explain the science, very similar, the analogy I make is kind of why do we have division one athletes and professional athletes willing to jump in polar ice baths every single day after practicing games? It's a pretty ridiculous concept. Like it used to be that you had to wait once a year to get these people to commit to do at a charity event and go in freezing cold water. And now they do it every single day. Well, they do it every single day because they've been explained the science. There's lactic acid buildup. You want to be refreshed the next day. This is the best way to cleanse your system out, to cleanse that lactic acid out and to be fresher the next day, right? I'm, I'm obviously oversimplifying the science. Which, which, but, which, by the way, ice baths are amazing. They're painful. <laughs> they are amazing. They're, they're amazing for physical and for mental health, right? But, but we started with physical with all these athletes and we got them to buy into this stuff. And so my theory on it with getting office people into mental health is if you just tell them foofy things like, you got to do this exercise because it helps you with your stress. You got to do this exercise because it allows you to focus more. People aren't going to do it. But when you say to them, hey, if you don't do these things, the nerve in your neck, that's the largest nerve in your body, your vagus nerve, it starts to tighten up like a muscle does. And when it tightens up, it can't send messages to the rest of your body. And when it can't send messages properly, the rest of your body, the rest of your body starts to freak out and say, we need to overproduce this and underproduce that. And our cells are going to start to become inflamed and we're going to have an imbalance in our hormone levels, right? Now, all of a sudden you're using terms that people understand and they're like, that doesn't sound good. And you're like, yeah, but here's the cool thing. When you do these exercises and you explain what the exercises are and these exercises help to relax those particular areas of our body, you know, again, not using neurobiology, just talking about areas of the body and to start to allow them to function more optimally which then leads towards better outcomes in terms of how we think, focus, concentrate, people start to listen. Then you get to the next piece of it. What do you actually, this goes, you know, what I wanted to do at the NBA when I first started brand marketing, right? How do you brand that? Well, we call them star exercises. Star is an uplifting term. It makes you feel like you're a star. You're, you're a high performer. This star is actually S-T-A-R-R -R with two R-Rs. It's stress and trauma. So the two things that build up inside of us active, meaning we need to do activities, release and rewiring, right? So it's a gym for the brain. If we have gyms for the body where we do elliptical, boxing, treadmill, kickboxing, universal free weights, why don't we have a gym for the brain? And it's no disrespect to Calm and, and, and Headspace and all those apps that are out there. They're great apps if you want to focus on singular modality with meditation, but different types of meditations work for different people. And for some people, meditation doesn't work at all. Imagine us going to a gym in 2021 right now to work on our physical health and we show up and there's nothing but a sea of treadmills in there. That's essentially what we're doing with the mental health right now. Do this meditation thing and you're good, right? You have to, you have, to have a lineup, right? Just as you have a, to simplify the, the weightlifting because it's, trust me, it's way more complex than that. <laughs> um, you know, you're having, look, you're hitting your upper body, you're hitting your lower body, you're hitting your core you have a cardio component and you've got a, you know, stability component, right? We'll, we'll simplify it to that, but you've got to figure out how to incorporate meditation, yoga, journaling, therapy, whatever it is, right? Now, now you've got your lineup where you're, you're working on multi-dimensions as you're talking about, and I'm no scientist, but it's just, it's one of those things that after a while you figure out, okay, what, to your point, what are the things that impact me the most? or what are the things that help me the most and why and how and so on. You know, one interesting question I'll, I'll get to as we start to, to wrap up in that, um, I, A, I want to get to our brain fuel segment because I'm very interested into how you're going to answer those. Okay. But two, someone's listening to this going, 
Well, Eric was a CRO of an NHL team and yeah, he had some, some problems and some transitions, but I mean, he's good now. Why can't he just go back to being an executive, right? There's a lot more purpose and, and passion. And, and I know that there's more to it in that story, but the, uh, the idea of helping others in what you're doing now would love for you to just kind of quickly share what you're trying to do and how you're trying to impact people. Thank you for, for teeing that up. And, and it's, it's often hard to answer that question when I talk to sports executives because I don't want them to think I'm talking down professional sports, right? So full disclosure, I loved every second, albeit that some of the politics are a little tough, but I loved every second of being in sports for the 16, 17 years I was in it directly, right? Um, when I shared my story, when I started healing through things like breathing, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, I was reached out to by over 400 people after 150,000 reads on LinkedIn. Um, and what was shared with me with these lived experience stories that people had, not disorder labels, losing kids at a young age, terrible divorces. And by using my voice and sharing my story, just being a peer coach in a way, I was able to help these people. And, and, and it felt so good that I reflected back on my sports career and I was like, what did I love most about working in sports? Okay, the playoff runs are a ton of fun. Don't get me wrong. It, you can't replicate a playoff run uh, almost anywhere else in the world when you're a part of that magic. I'm watching with my friends who work for the Islanders right now. Um, but what I really loved about sports was helping young people grow their careers, develop as professionals and then grow their careers and to look at where they've gone on to. I was mentioning some of those people with the, with the sons right now that for someone who doesn't have kids, you know, maybe eventually one day, but um, that feels like my kids almost throughout sports in a way. And so the feeling that I got from helping people was similar to the feeling that I got from helping young individuals who were in the sports world. And the fact that I didn't have a 75 mile radius I had to stay within, wasn't focused only on tickets and sponsorships um, and wasn't doing the same thing each year where just beating my numbers from the year before. I had a blank slate of the entire world. Mental health applies to everything, whether we can turn our electricity on or not is, is a mental health issue, you know? It, like everything that we go through impacts our brain, right? And so a much larger campus, a global campus, being able to be creative with branding and, and messaging led to the formation of we're all a little crazy, crazy in quotes, where the message was that because I needed to shake the trees on the 90% of people who don't take mental health seriously and be like, that brain fuel sign behind you looks crazy cool, right? Well, we use the term crazy in everyday language. That helped me draw in people that wouldn't talk about brain health, mind health, you know, mental health, right? I needed something that was going to shake them a little bit. And then from that, having conversations with the athletes that we work with, coming together in this alliance of people, all of whom work together, forming a, a campaign called Same Here, which you mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's your thumb pointed at your chest and your pinky pointed out at the other person. And you're saying, Jake, you and I, we're the same. And I could say that to you one-on-one, -on -one, and I can say that to, you know, I always use the example, William and Mary, we got to present to 3,000 students at once. So I could say that to all 3,000 at once and fully believe that message is accurate and true. Why? Because if you're a human being, same here. You've been through challenges in your life that have impacted your mental health. Doesn't mean you have this thing called depression or anxiety or PTSD. It just means you've been through stuff and you can relate to the difficulty of what that feels like. And so from there, you know, it's been a three-year journey of building programming in five main areas. K-12 is one of them. Colleges is another. Corporate offices is another servicemen and women first responders. So to think that we're working with the Department of the Defense and the NYPD is just, you pinch yourself when you, when you look back on that. And then sports teams and leagues, most recent of which was Golden State Warriors, to have that opportunity to make an impact in a global type of way in changing not just narratives, but changing programming and education, that's really what we focus on. So, so when you and I were talking a little bit about podcasts before, you know, I love what we do with the podcast and that we just launched and that Darren Ravel, who's a sports business reporter and is well known whether you love him or hate him um, uh, on there. And that Theo Fleury is an NHL player. We could get all these great guests, but really like the biggest joy that I get every single day and why we do what we do is because we can take this conversation that I think is the biggest epidemic of our time. That's what it says at the beginning of our podcast 
and to start rewriting how people think about it and shifting the paradigm, that puzzle to me is a lot of fun. And it's fun and it's rewarding. And so I, I could be offered my favorite teams growing up, the New York Knicks president's job. I might beat myself up in 10 years from now for saying this, but I wouldn't take it. You know, I've had opportunities to go back in sports. I, I wouldn't want to do it because I found so much passion in this. I mean, passion's the key, right? And and if you went back to your 22, 23-year-old self, you know, at, at the NBA, you know, you would have said, I have this massive passion for what I'm doing, right? And it, and I'm a big believer in that your passions can change based on your life experiences, right? And and that's exhibit A and what you've shared. Um, I want to get into our brain fuel segment, though, because this could not line up any better with what we've talked about, you know, brain fuel being a cerebral beverage, right? Like when I first came upon brain fuel, I was talking, you know, to them and, and at first I'm like, guys, you got to explain to me what's a cerebral beverage as opposed to just a beverage, right? And and you know, why? And, and they've got a bunch of science, as you were talking about science, behind what they've created and why and, and, you know, what makes it different from other, you know, beverages and so on. But the key here is, you know, we're talking about mental health. Um, we're, we're talking about how people either mentally prepare for their day. There's a mental aspect to working in sports business. Productivity finds its way in there. But with all the people that you've worked with, um, you know, you, you've come across, if you could have the brain of someone else for a day, whom would you choose? Wow. Oh, there's a lot of really good, smart people out there. Um, I don't agree with every decision he makes. I want to, want to definitively put that out there, but I've never seen someone to be able to opine on so many different topics in such an intelligent and thought provoking way as Adam Silver. Like David was phenomenal in terms of charisma and the way that he could command a room, but Adam's ability to like read something in the news on a topic unrelated to the NBA and someone asks him about it and he loops it back into how it might apply to the NBA or sports business in general. And you're like, did this guy write a thesis on this? <laughs> so does, does he have a PhD? I mean, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he, it, it just, he's one of those brains where you just watch him and you're like, Oh my God, you know, like you feel confident in the area that you have expertise in. And it's like, you could hire him to run any of these different companies in different industries. And he'd do equally as well. Crazy, crazy. Um, how do you mentally prepare for your day? And I'm going to ask that in the sense of how did you do it when you were CRO of the Panthers? And how do you do it now? I don't think I mentally prepared at all before my crash happened, right? Um, you know, to say I didn't mentally prepare, I thought of it as physical health, right? I, I'd run every day, get to the gym as often as I could, um, you know, veg out during, you know, watching TV when I got home at night. But there was no routine or preparation, right? And now what I understand is back to that science of stress and trauma and the buildup, I look at it as the opposite. I think sports executives really like this analogy. When we work in sports, we're told renewing is like keeping a bucket filled with water and we want to plug the holes so the water line stays at the top. With mental health, you want to do the opposite. Your water line is really high because the stress trauma level has built and you don't want it to overflow where everything feels out of whack. So you want to keep drilling holes in the bottom so the water line lowers, because guess what? More water from the outside is always being poured in. You're always having new life experiences, always more deadlines, always more things you're, you're witnessing. So my routine every morning is I use a device called an alpha stim machine. That's not really active, right? But it's, but it's clips on your ears and it creates wavelengths in your brain that are consistent so your different brain parts can talk to one another again without getting into the crazy science behind it that's the the, the simplest way i do a, a morning meditation uh, i'm not a big journaler but we we created an app called the same here scale that allows us to check where we're at in terms of our feelings on a scale that fluctuates so i'm able to look back at that and at least say i can timestamp how i was this day this week this month how am i changing relative to that and then I'll, I'll go, I don't know the guy at all, but someone introduced me to this man flow yoga, right? So even though I do breathing and meditation on my own, I was like, okay, I want to start incorporating yoga in and like yoga 
never spoke to me in terms of the way they marketed it. it's lululemon pants and it's you know women more than it's men and, and and again that there's nothing wrong with being a part of that group right but like that's not the way that i necessarily would engage in sports or something in the past and so this guy came up with man flow yoga the the movements are not as difficult on your joints right but there's also a little more strength training component instead of just stretching and breathing and so that's kind of my routine is thinking about draining that bucket every single day. And I think of that the same way I do weight on my body and having to burn fat, right? And, and keep my muscles strong is if I have to work on that, I have to work on this also. For someone who's done hot yoga for almost 10 years now, the mental strength uh, that it takes to stay in that room <laughs> when it's 105 and 90% humidity and you're just like, you got a pool underneath you of sweat there's some mental work there being done outside of the physical component. So it's, you know, not everyone's into the hot yoga, but right. just as a whole, getting yourself to the mat is a start and then staying there and so on. And so, um, yeah, I mean, certainly excited to hear about that part of the journey. What's the most important aspect of the mental side of sports business as a whole? Um, you know, balance is a cliche term. So I'm going to say cadence and pacing, right? Um, you know, I was talking to my friends at the Islanders. Now, granted, that's a, a an extreme case where a team is going far into the playoffs. But I was giving them some advice because I said, I was living and dying because I'm an emotional guy with every win, every loss. Travis Zajac, who's playing for the Islanders now, scoring a goal in overtime against Philly. And then, you know, like, and then we got to the finals and I was so spent I remember talking to Kelly Cheeseman with AEG, who was VP of sales and service for the Kings at the time. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I don't know if you feel like I feel, but like, I feel like I can't even react right now to what's going on in the ice. Cause I just, that Rangers devil series, I spent everything. And so understanding that we are carrying these things, these, these, these invisible bags around with us. And that just because we can push ourselves, and we can get to that next step and we can do more work and do more work because got the next thing done. What might that take away from you two days from now, five days from now, five weeks from now, when burnout starts to creep in. And by the way, I don't mean burnout like I had burnout could be a two day period of burnout where you just feel spent, but realize what you're doing by taxing yourself extra right now is you're allowing yourself to burn out later. And what I would challenge everyone to think is when you take the time to do the exercises that we're talking about 15 minutes here and there every three or four hours, you're actually able to be more productive in the long run. So 11 hours and 15 minutes of work, you could get more done in that amount of time than you can in 12 hours. If the 45 minutes that you're taking in that, in that, in that 12 hour period is for the purposes of power washing that brain and making it more efficient. Well, without using that answer, what's your secret to productivity? Oh, wow. Um, my secret to productivity is, uh, I, I think that we're, we're, we're driven by ideas, right? As individuals and, and ideas come to us in many forms. They come to us in pictures and then they come to us in words and productivity for me. I don't know that anyone else struggles for this is. I could always see the vision either in the pictures or the words for me, it's usually pictures. And because I would explain it to other people, I thought that they would get it as quickly as I did. And then when we were a team together, it's everyone rowing a boat in the same direction. But even though you see the world in your own way, clearly with the pictures or words that you see, communicating that in multiple ways to the team that you work with, whether there are people on your staff or people who are your colleagues is really important. So I'm talking about productivity in, in the sense of aggregate as opposed to individual, because if, if we just focus on what we know and that we think because we communicated it quote, well, now everyone's going to start, you know, picking up the ball and running with it. There's just different ways people learn and different ways people need to be told what the directions are moving forward fascinating and and you can just tell as you're answering these there is no perfect answer either right, right. right it's it's this work in progress and and i think that even going back to some of your earlier points mental health as a whole for yes we're talking about the sports business and entertainment industry but 
as you mentioned, it, it's global, right? It goes across everything and anything. However, it's all a work in progress, right? And, you know, there's a ton of different acronyms that people use across, you know, uh, the, the industry as a whole. Um, but that WIP, right? Like it's always going to be a work in progress every single day. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing the insights, your story, um, you know, the piece of advice and, and just per different perspectives, right? On, you know, someone might listen to this and just think about something differently, but that impacts them enough uh, to make a different decision or use that, you know, 15 minute block, right? Differently to, to be more productive. So um, I think one thing that we can for sure say, and I, and I would I would hope you would say the same is, you know, there's always things that, that can be done better, uh, whether it's more efficient, more effective, more productive, um, but there's always a cost to doing things, you know, at an extreme level, and you just have to understand what those costs are. Yeah, for and for everyone working in sports, for the players on the field and the players off the field, it's all 100%. Of us, you know, yep. it's so. just a different context, right? Yeah. Like everyone, everyone's got a job. Just as you're a role player or you're the star of the team, everybody's got a job. It's just a different context. And so I think, you know, as, as you mentioned, Naomi Osaka, you know, kind of somewhere in, the, in this episode, like, yes, it is the players on the court, but it's also the people working in the business too. They're there just as long for the most part, if not longer, right? And yep. takes a toll on them. So Eric, any last words for our listeners? Look, I, I think thinking about this topic of mental health, not in the construct of how you've seen it talk, you talked about perspective before, try to get it out of your mind of thinking about it. What are my signs of whether I have depression, whether I have anxiety and think about it more along the lines of I've got physical health. Everyone does. I've got mental health. Everyone does. Even if my motivation, because I deal with coaches who probably wouldn't give a shit about mental health but they give a shit about wins and losses just the way that people in sports offices give a shit about dollar signs and renewals and, and new sales is this stuff impacts how we perform as well. And if we don't pay attention to it, it makes us sicker. It makes us less productive. It doesn't make us perform as well. So you could ignore it. Eventually it comes back and it impacts you. hundred percent. Well said. So Eric, Really appreciate your time on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. We'll definitely get some out to you. I know uh, you'll be Thank interested you. to try it yes. and uh, share it with the rest. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at brainfuel.com b-r-e-i-n fuel.com with the code lifeo15 l-i-f-o-1-5 at checkout and if you like brain fuel give us a shout out comment share and leave a review and a reminder to get your copy of lol loss of logo what's your next move our new book written by andy dolich and your host jake hirschman if you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.